Well, it's good to see everyone today. So we're continuing our Questioning God series, and uh, we have these, these uh, flyers here for this, and we have this graphic here. We, uh, last week we did How Could a Good God Allow Suffering? That's on our uh, YouTube channel, on iTunes podcast. Today we're doing Isn't Christianity Restrictive and Oppressive? And the next week will be Why is the Church Responsible for So Much Injustice? Um, you know, I think this is the kind of series... These are big questions that we're always asking, that, that we're always thinking, or that people, every generation has these you know, questions like this. And uh, so this is big. This is really, really big. And I think, you know, I just want to encourage you, you know, be extending invitations, be sharing this content with people. I think it's going to get bigger and bigger, even bigger than Squid Games. I think it'll be pretty big in the end. So um, here's my contention. Here's the, 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 the basic thought about this series I've been mentioning each week is that uh, everyone wants to believe in something spiritual. Everyone wants to believe in something transcendent. Even people who have denounced God uh, in the past will suddenly find themselves in a moment of crisis praying, crying out to God. I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to, to live without God if you're healthy, everything's going your way, life is pretty stable. It's pretty easy to be like, I don't need God. But what are you going to do? What are you going to do if you fall into a bear pit at the zoo and you're wearing underpants made of steak? I mean, what are you going to do? Suddenly you'll believe. You'll believe instantly. You'll, you'll find faith. Even the most, some of the most irrational intellectual people in our culture, scientists, right, are trying to find a theory of everything. They're, even those people are drawn to a meta-narrative. They can't help but strive towards this central organizing principle of the universe, the highest good, the greatest you know, thing. That we're, we're, we're trying to strive for this ideal, this thing that, makes, that describes and explains everything in the universe, that everything should connect and make sense together. We're, we can't help but, but strive towards that. We're indelibly religiously oriented. The idea that God loves you, that God made you, that God has a plan for you, a purpose for you, that he delights in you, that idea that he wants to save you from evil and that he's interested in your flourishing, that idea will never stop resonating with the human heart. Even Darth Vader figured it out in the end that love and family is better than submitting to the dark side, right? But there are these barriers. So even though my contention is that everybody wants to believe, and we're going through these, these each week we're going through these barriers, everyone wants to believe, we, we, we have sometimes these blocks, these intellectual blocks that we, we can't quite get through. And so this series, we're trying to lower the barriers so that people can find faith, but also we're trying to lower the barriers so that we can deal with our own doubts, because sometimes we have doubts as well. And it's important to recognize that and be honest. I, we can struggle with uh, some things with our faith, some things with the Bible, all those kind of things. So I'm drawing some content from Tim Keller's book, uh, The Reason for God, and, uh, but I'm going to be preaching from Galatians, the book of Galatians today, Galatians chapter 1 and 5, drawing from a few different verses from both chapters. So let me set this up real quick before I get into the Bible here. Um, Galatians, the book of Galatians, uh, was written uh, a couple of thousand years ago by a guy called the Apostle Paul, or some call him Saint Paul, and um, he's writing to this, these Christians who live in a place called Galatia. That's why it's called Galatians, okay, because it's the name of their place. It's just named after the place, Galatians. And they, they, were, uh, they hadn't been Christians very long. They're very baby Christians, new Christians, and, but, but they already even though they'd received the gospel and believed in Jesus, they were already being led astray very quickly by other people coming in and twisting and distorting the message of Jesus and getting them off track from the true message of Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to them. Uh, they're in crisis, and he's trying to bring them back, trying to realign them and correct them and help them so they don't become enslaved to something destructive and aren't believing something that's bad for them. And herein lies the crux of the matter that we're going to be talking about today isn't Christianity restrictive and oppressive because some people will look at this and say, well, this is the isn't this the nature of Christianity that's it's controlling? 
that it, it believes that some things are immoral and it believes that some things are heresy, that some beliefs you can have are her, her, heretical beliefs or immoral beliefs. And, and therefore, because you say you've got the truth, you, you create these factions and divisions and disunity amongst people. And this is the problem. This is the, not just Christianity, but religion in general. Isn't this the problem? That's the accusation today. That's what we're going to be getting into today. Let's get some help. Let's pray. And then we're going to turn to the Bible for some help. Jesus, help us to answer this question today. Give us faith as we explore your word and examine your truth today. And uh, help anyone here who does believe but have, has doubts, help to solve those doubts today. And I pray for those who don't yet believe, uh, or maybe their faith is ambiguous. I pray bring them in, Lord, bring them all the way in, and glorify yourself as you do that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Let's read here, Galatians chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 3. Apostle Paul writes this, he says, uh, to these Christians in Galatia, he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, that's Jesus, deserting Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Then we're going to jump to chapter 5 and verse 1. He continues later on, he says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not be subject, sorry, do not, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And then we're going to read verses 13 and 14 to finish this off. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is God's word. Now, these first few verses that we read here give us a great overview of the big point, the big message of the Bible, that God sent His Son, Jesus, the eternal Son. He came as a man in our place to die on the cross for our sin. And that redemption, that gift of salvation that Jesus came is set to a backdrop of a corrupt world, that the world is the present evil age, as the Bible calls it. There's this evil corruption in the world, and the grace and the gift of salvation shine so brightly against that backdrop of a corrupt, evil world. And people might like the idea of God loving them and that kind of thing, but this is here in the, the crux of the issue today is that people will look at something like this and say, well, I like the first part, but the second part, uh, don't, know, don't know if I like that. The idea, isn't this the problem with the Christian faith that people, you know, they'll, they'll point the finger at it and say, well, it shames people. All this talk of sin, all this talk of corruption and evil in the human heart just makes, makes people feel bad about themselves. It's narrow-minded. It's... it's, it's Shouldn't, shouldn't people just be able to determine truth for themselves? Shouldn't people, shouldn't people better be free from these kind of repressive and these restrictive ideas? Shouldn't people just be able to, be able to seek out the highest freedom in their own life and the, 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 their own self-expression, and that's going to be what's going to make them the happiest? Isn't that the goal? Christianity just restricts people, just puts these bad burdens and barriers on people. Isn't that bad? Isn't that wrong? Can't people just, you know, if something's true for them, then it's true for them. Isn't that the case? That would be 
common thinking in our culture. That would be a common response that people might have to a message like this, that, that, that calls out the corruption in the human heart, that calls out the sin in the world. Now, at Trinity Church, we have 100% Lee, um, we have, we, we, we're, we, we've rejected the notion of this kind of postmodern deconstructionist ideology that says truth is whatever you want it to be. We've, we've rejected this notion for one simple and in, inconvenient uh, truth is that, is this, is that truth is unavoidable. Put that on, put it on like a, like a nice furry warm coat because it feels so good when you actually embrace this and you, you realize this is true. You realize, yeah, this makes sense. You know, truth is unavoidable. The idea of, this idea of, of deconstruction, if you've heard that phrase, the idea of deconstruction or the postmodern era we live in where there's, there's nothing, there's, there's not definitive truth, there's not a standard that you have to be held to, that, I, that idea, it, it, obviously, in the end, it deconstructs itself. It's, it's bad for human flourishing because people need to latch onto something concrete and something solid, uh, but in the end, it's bad because it denies reality. You end up denying things that are blatantly real. C.S. Lewis, famous author, uh, he wrote this. Any second now? C.S. Lewis quote, he wrote this. He says, but you cannot go on explaining away forever. You will find that you have explained explanation itself away. You cannot go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. It is good that the window should be transparent because the street or garden beyond it is opaque. How if you saw through the garden too? A wholly transparent world is an invisible world. To see through all things is the same as not to see. Let that sink in. To see through, to deconstruct everything. In the end, deconstruction deconstructs itself. Postmodernism uh, is an end unto itself, completely self-destructive. And our world is addicted to, we love these self-destructive ideologies. We haven't figured out they're so toxic and bad for us. But to see through all things is to not see. The only good thing about deconstruction is that maybe it's a good heavy metal band name. That's about the only thing I can think of. Two opposing truth claims, and this, is, this idea goes beyond just the Christian faith, but the Christian faith is very certain about this, but two opposing truth claims cannot be actually true in reality. The claims, you know, the, the claim itself, you know, the fact that you said the words, like you can make the claim that are opposing, but the actual reality of the thing you're claiming can't both be true at the same time. So I can't claim that I'm 22 years old and 42 years old at the same time. It's obvious I'm 22 years old. I, I can't claim that I'm at, standing at the Eiffel Tower and at Niagara Falls at the same time. I can't do it. So two contradictory claims, two, th th these two contradictory claims, either, either the, the statements themselves are misleading or they're wrong and they've got to be clarified, so then they're not in contradiction. But if they are in contradiction, this is the hard reality of life, is that one of them is wrong. One of them has to be wrong. It doesn't matter how much you want to play professional basketball. If you're not tall enough, reality, I almost said a bad word, reality is a, 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 bad, a problem. Reality, reality is a problem. You have to face reality. I'm suspicious of people that want to deconstruct reality, want to deconstruct truth, because I feel like the more you deconstruct truth, the more you deny reality, you're on the pathway to justifying immoral things, because you start playing word games. You start 
start manipulating things in a way that then can actually cause you to justify the mistreatment of other people because you move, we've moved away from morality. So is it, is it therefore wrong for Christians and for the Apostle Paul here, even, in verse 7, even, is it, is it wrong for, to say, look, there are people that are teaching something that's wrong. It goes against the truth, and you've got to reject it. You've got to reject it. Is it wrong? In verse 7, he says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Is it okay for the Apostle Paul to say that? Listen, it is a complete, the, the idea of a completely inclusive community is an illusion. It's, an, it's, it's, it's naivete. It's a fairy tale to say you could have, a, you could have a community that's completely inclusive of all views and all people, that, that doesn't happen anywhere. All groups of people have standards and restrictions and boundaries. Think of it, let me give you an example of this. Imagine uh, an atheist organization with, a, with a, a, board, a group of board members who run the organization, and let's, say, let's imagine that one of those board members becomes a believer, becomes a follower of Jesus, and they tell the other board members what's happened. And that person... Now, it doesn't matter how kind they are to that person, how patient they are with them, eventually that, those other board members are going to have to say, look, this isn't going to work out. Like, you fundamentally now have the different values and beliefs to our organization. You, either you're held to the standards, so either you change your mind back, or you're going to have to leave the group. It's the only way. Let me give you actually a real-world example of this, a bit of a controversial one. But um, very prominent feminists in our day are finding themselves being excluded from lots of groups for uh, under the issue of uh, trans uh, rights and trans issues. So especially the very controversial issue of the hormone treatment of children. There are prominent feminists who are being rejected from different groups for that reason. So it happens in all groups all the time. Either you're held to the standard, either you agree to the standard of the group, or you have to say goodbye to the group because you can't have a cohesive group of people if you don't have shared standards that you all agree to and say, this is what's right and this is what's wrong. This is what's good, this is what's bad. This is what we're going to commit to, this is what we're not going to do. It happens all the time. Imagine if you were a part of a pudding club, a pudding community. You just love puddings. You take pictures of puddings, you make puddings, you go to pudding conventions. You just, puddings are your life. It's everything puddings. If, if somebody approached you and wanted to join your group, but their name was Pedro the, the Pudding Poisoner, I mean, do you think it's a good idea to let them in? Do you think you'd want to let them in? I don't know. I mean, unless you know there's a friend that knew was playing a joke on you. But if, you, if they were a stranger, then they, yeah, anyway, you get the point. The test is not, do, because, the test is not, because all groups have restrictions and have standards to live to. The test is not, does a group of people have boundaries and structure to it? That's not the test. The test is, what groups teach their members to love, to honor, to respect and to be kind to people who don't belong to their group. That is the best test, and that's the test that's on the Christian faith. Now, we can all think of examples of people who claim the name of Christ but don't live that particular way, right? Obviously, you can fail something good. You don't reach, live up to the ideal of it. But there are plenty of Christian groups and plenty of Christians that do live up to that ideal and do strive for that. None of us get it perfect, of course. But the idea that Christianity robs us of our freedom, that it's oppressive to our identity or that it takes away our identity from us, that idea is a misunderstanding of what freedom truly is. It's a misunderstanding of what freedom truly is. The Apostle Paul writes about freedom here in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, 
For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, a yoke is uh, like a farming tool, binds two animals together, typically for like, you know, hauling or pulling something, right? So two oxen are going to be yoked together, and they're pulling something. And the idea, actually, the Bible's idea, and, and this is true, lots of people have this, this belief, is that really human beings, we can't help but be yoked to something. Essentially, we, we, we exist to, to worship or we, we have to be joined you know, for our own survival oftentimes. We have to bind ourselves to a group of people. And so we're always going to have some kind of yoke on us, all right? So there's positive yokes and there's negative yokes. And like, so even the Bible talks about marriage as being a yoke, all right? And you can take that one way or another, but it's talking about it as a positive thing. It says, don't be yoked with, you know, light and dark can't be yoked together. It says that, right? So um, the, what the Bible is saying is don't be yoked to something that's going to enslave you, to something that's addictive, something that, that is, is, is destructive for you. Don't be yoked to that because that's going to lead you off. You want to be yoked to something like Christ, something good. You want to be bound to and tied to something good. So the, the idea that Freedom means no restraint whatsoever, no yoke whatsoever, only egg white, just a joke, bad joke. That there's no, no restraint, different word, sorry, it was a bad joke, it was a dad joke. The, the, the idea that, that freedom means there's no, no restraints upon you is entirely the wrong view of freedom. That's not what freedom truly is. In fact, it's impossible to have all restraints taken off of you. No, who can, who can achieve the kind of life where there's no restraint upon them? There's, there's all kind of restraints placed upon us all the time, all kind of limitations placed upon us all the time. No one can, uh, can get rid of that. But also, it's the other problem, is that we're not happier with the more options we have. We think we are. We're Americans. We love our options. We love our options. You, you're at the restaurant, and it's like, this option has 10 sub-options, and this option has another 10 sub-options, and you have all the options. But... What you, and studies show us this, that you, we, we're more miserable, we're less happy the more options we have. But we don't, we don't need studies for it because the Bible's been telling us this for generations, for centuries. It's been telling us for thousands of years that the more you know, un, unrestricted freedom, if you can just do whatever you want to do, it is bad for you. It's destructive. If you can follow any desire, any whim you have, it's not good for you. It's not good for any one of us. The idea that True, true freedom is not about having restrictions taken off you. True freedom is to be free from evil. That's the Christian idea of freedom, is that you're free from temptation. You're free from immoral coercion. You're free from injustice. You're free from tyranny. All kinds of ways that we can talk about being free. That's the true idea of freedom. And then based on that foundation of being free from evil... That you're set free for a purpose. You're ultimately free so that you can do the good works of God in the world. That's the point of being free, is I'm set free from evil, so I'm not controlled by evil anymore, but now I'm free to do the good, the goodness. I'm yoked to Jesus. I'm bound to Jesus to do the good works of the kingdom of God. That's the point of the Christian faith. So constraint and constriction are not the enemies of freedom. In fact, they're the means to liberation. Let me say that again. If that, didn't, if that didn't get through, that the constraint and constriction are not the enemies of freedom. They are the means of liberation. They're the means of liberation. Think of a musician. Think of somebody who, to, to become a successful music, musician, what do you have to do? You have to lock yourself away and practice and practice, which you know, early on in someone's career is probably not a bad thing. But you have to at least lock yourself away. You have to deny yourself. You have to say, a lot of social gatherings I can't go to. I can't be 
binge watching the most recent Netflix show. You know, I can't be, there's lots of things I can't, I can't be doing. I'm going to have to miss out on all these things because I'm going to have to practice and pr I'm going to get hours and hours and hours in to master this. And if I don't, then the world won't hear the beauty of the music that I can make. Yes, Christianity has restrictions. It has boundaries. It has confinements. It has, a, it has some barriers for us to say, this, these, are, these are good things. You've got to stay in this, stay in this little this area right here. Yes, but so does everyone else. Every, every group has this. And if you want to find the greatest meaning, the greatest joy, you want to make that beautiful music, you have to put massive restrictions on yourself in order to get to that true place of liberation. And the Christian message is that the restrictions of Christianity bring about the greatest liberation that you could possibly ever experience. Think about it in contrast to the world. Is the world free with its ideologies and its belief and its lack of faith? Is the world free? Think about people who, uh, people who take jobs because they pay a lot of money. But maybe it's not their passion. You know, they've got a real passion to do something particular, but they don't follow that passion because they say, well, if I do this career path, then I can own this kind of house and have this kind of car and have this kind of lifestyle, right? So is that person free? Haven't they kind of enslaved, haven't they kind of yoked themselves to a paycheck? They've enslaved themselves to that. Think of a doctor. Think of a doctor. Doctor has to be has to has to take on all kinds of restrictions in order to do their job. You know, they can't stay up late partying. You know, they might be very careful about uh, doing handyman work. They got to protect those hands. You know, to be an effective surgeon, right? They're all kind of things they might not be able to do. Uh, may not be able to drink much alcohol or any at all, especially if they're on call. And the one thing that seems to be universal for all doctors is that no doctors never ever are ever allowed to write legible prescriptions. It's a big restriction upon doctors. Think about a public, serv a public servant, an, an elected official, or somebody in the education system, or somebody who works with children. Can that person just live a lewd lifestyle and just be hooking up with, with people? Can they, can they live that way? If they want to be trusted by the public and by parents, they're going to have to they're going to have to adopt a whole bunch of restrictions in their life to say, I've got the character and the kind of lifestyle that actually sets me up to be trustworthy to live this way. All kinds of restrictions. Now, okay, so in principle, you might agree. You might say, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, right. I, get, I get what you're saying. To, 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 to live this kind of life, you've got to put restrictions on. That's true liberation. Okay, makes sense. All right, so Christianity's got some restrictions too. That's going to be liberating. Okay, got it. So ho hopefully, hopefully, some of, hopefully there's some agreement here. Starting to the penny starting to drop, but that doesn't. That there are still big big barriers even with the Christian faith, especially in our context. So I'm, I'm about to venture into the cancel zone here. So pray for me as I I'm going to walk into the, the kill box. So pray for me as I do this. What about people might say about Christianity? Well, aren't there? Isn't it? Isn't it regressive in terms of its view of gender, its view of marriage, its view of sexuality? some of these big, these big identity issues of our day. Let me try and give, with the time that I have, I mean, you could write books and books and watch hours and hours of YouTube videos about this stuff. Let me try and give a brief response to this because I'm so glad you asked because these are the questions I long to, to talk about and answer. Um, but I'm, I'm entering the cancel kill box zone, so uh, goodbye, YouTube. Uh, well, it's been nice knowing you. Um, let's start with an easy topic like gender. The Bible is unapologetic that there are obviously similarities between men and women, but also unapologetic that there are differences between us. 
great differences between us. And that God has designed these on purpose. And part of it is that we actually have to learn to cooperate together, that the differences are significant so that we actually learn teamwork and to cooperate and to honor the differences in each other. And it's crucial, it's, it's, it's essential to honor those differences and to uh, learn cooperation, uh, especially before you go on a trip to Ikea. That's especially important. But the Bible's unapologetic about these, about these differences, that we're, de we're designed to complement each other. The Bible never says all women are the same. It never says that all men are the same. But it does say that we, as two different genders, we have, we have, a, a, we have a mysterious nature that God has given us. And here's the fundamental truth that we can't deny. See, our, our postmodern deconstructionist environment wants to fool us into believing this, but it's not true, is that there is a power differential between the genders. Now, men and women are both powerful in different ways, and both not, not, not one gender is better than another, but we are undeniably different to each other. And the Bible is unapologetic about it. The cr traditional Christian view of men and women is unapologetic about this. I just got canceled. I'm sorry, I just got canceled for saying that. There's this power differential between us, and it has to be honored. It's, it's in part what explains why, and you have to look at this on a bell curve, but some percentage of men actually tend to, tend to occupy higher positions. And it's, it's a partly a difference of nature. Not that women, some women can't, but it's a difference in nature. The Bible, see, the Bible's description of, of our natural state and our identities corresponds with reality. You actually have to deny reality. You have to actually change reality and say reality isn't what it is in order to take on the views of postmodernism in our day and age. But the Bible, what I love about the Bible is the stories it tells, the truth it tells us. When you look at the world around you, you say, yeah, that's, kinda, that's how it is. That's how it works. That's how things are. It and so when we, accept, when we accept the definitions that God gives us, when we accept the design of God and the boundaries of God and the confinement of God, that is freedom. That is liberation. It's slavery to accept the alternative. It's madness to accept the alternative. Now, even somebody who has, you're talking about this gender stuff, even somebody who has an inner sense that their gender is different, that still doesn't take away from the power differential between the sexes. So now, let's just keep going. Seeing as I'm in the kill zone, let's just keep going further and further into this. What about purity? What about purity? The world says, you know, have whatever experiences you want. You don't have to restrict yourself or constrain yourself. If you desire something, that's your desire. Have that desire. That's what the world says. The untold truth of that is, and people who have gone down that path for any length of time will tell you, it doesn't, it doesn't, satis it doesn't give you what it, what it says, what it purports to, to give you. It's a lie. It's a deception every single time. We're at great risk. We're at risk of disease. We're at risk of regret. We're at risk of addiction. We're at risk of infertility. We're at risk, and in that case, we're at risk of never having a family, if we actually want a family. At some point, we're at all these risks if we just follow any desire that we might have. The idea of love, for love to work, love has to be exclusive. Love has to be exclusive for love to work. This is the idea of Christian marriage. Christian marriage, if people bring in, well, for marriage to work, you're always bringing in a whole bunch of baggage into your marriage. So, any marriage, no matter what your background is, you have to really work at it to make it work, all right? It's, it's, it's a lot of hard work. That's why it's called a yuck, all right, I guess, because you're binding yourself to somebody. It's a lot of hard work. 
But the idea in the world is, well, just live however you want to live, do whatever you want to do. And then you bring all of that into your marriage, that's not a good, it's not going to work out great. I mean, you can work through it. People can, they have worked through stuff, but it's, it's, it's not ideal. It's not God's standard. The, the restrictions that God places on us are better for us, set you up for a better relationship. If you want to be, if you feel called to marriage, if you want to be married, it sets you up for a way better relationship. It's better by far. The Bible is so clear to us. It says in, even here in, in verse 13, in chapter 5, it says, but through, uh, no, sorry, it says, uh, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for, for the flesh. So the Bible's very clear, the Bible's very clear that we have these struggles within us, that we have temptations, that we, not all of our desires are good. Some of our desires are very destructive, in fact. And the, the world tells us, just follow your desires. And like, no, you've got good desires, yeah, follow those, but you've also got some bad desires. And you've got to tone and turn those things down. I mean, I have a strong desire right now to tell you the ending of Spider-Man No Way Home. Because I have no sympathy for you if you haven't seen it. Because it's so good. And if you haven't seen it, it's on you. It's your fault. So I'm going to tell you the ending. I'm going to tell you the... No, I'm going to resist. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to resist the destructive temptation to tell you the ending of, of No Way Home. Think about it like this. The family unit. God has designed the family unit to work a certain way. For children to flourish. For, for cultures to flourish. You have to have stable families. And at the heart of a stable family is marriage, is prizing marriage. And Jesus describes marriage to us in Matthew chapter 19. He gives us a very clear definition. If you want to know the Bible's teaching on marriage, turn to the words of Jesus. Go to Matthew chapter 19 and read the definition there of marriage. Jesus gives it. Living to that, taking on that restraint, taking on that restriction, taking on those boundaries, that is the ultimate liberation. That's the ultimate freedom. That's the best way. That's the best way for children to flourish, for societies to flourish, for cultures to flourish. It comes from the Bible. Now, what the mistake you can't make is, I'm talking about marriage a lot here, but the mistake you can't make is you can't think that marriage is the apex, that, oh, if I'm married, then I've made it, or that the, the highest goal in life is to be married. A lot of people who have been married, in hindsight, will tell you, nope, it doesn't work out for everyone. Now, marriage can be great. It's a lot of work. It's hard work. It can be great. If, you, if you're blessed with marriage, you've got to work at it. It, it can be a really hard thing. But singleness... Taking on, the, you know, so there's also there's a yoke, there's a lot of restraints in marriage, but, but Christian singleness, following, following the ways of Jesus, being single like Jesus, you're taking on a whole bunch of restraint as well that can actually be, which is actually, for some people, would be way better than them ever getting married. Just be way better for some people. What kind of different reasons for that? Sometimes that's hard to discern for people because our culture and even Christian culture can, can, can say that marriage is the ultimate way to express yourself or the ultimate validation that you've made that you finally arrived and i've got to tell you a lot of people look back and say yeah <laughs> it's it's not what it's it's, it's not exactly what you think it, it would be it can go bad it can go bad and there are allowances in the bible for divorce as well for different reasons you know god in god's grace he can allow divorce for different reasons to live a good life to live a godly life is to do the good works of god it's not about your status it's not about some experience. It's not about what other people think of you. It's to do the good works of God. Let me do one last one here, just, just to put the nail in the coffin here to get fully canceled. Let's talk about identity. Identity. The world tells us that you can make your own identity, that you can be anything you want. That's not true. That is a lie. The Christian message is this, is that you have to receive an identity. You have to be given an identity. All right? This is the way it works. And actually, even psychology even proves this, actually. That given to ourselves, we can't just create 
a persona or an identity of ourselves, and that's any good. I mean, we can do it. It's not very good. The way that you develop your identity is, is that you live in a community. And that community actually helps shape your character and helps validate what's good about you and what's not good about you. Because you know what? None of us are good enough. You are not good enough as you are. You need to change. You need to grow. You're insufficient. Fallen, broken, and God can restore us and put us back together. He wants to grow our identity and expand us and make us more than we ever were before. But you can't just do it by yourself. You have to be in community. Identity is received from community. It's a powerful Christian idea that you get it, you're given it by God. So listen, if God is an all-loving God, and he's all-wise, and he designed us, and he knows you, and he's got a plan for you, and he delights in you, and he's excited about you, he's got a future for you, isn't it better to say, I need to discover God's design I need to discover God's plan. I need to discover God's approval. I need to discover what God intends rather than just make it up myself. I need to receive something divine from God because the Bible has an amazing truth that all people are created in God's image. That means you have divine qualities in you. You are not God, but you are the most thing in all creation that is like God. That means that you are a masterpiece that means your individuality is like nobody else's. It means you're prized beyond measure. You're intrinsically valued beyond your performance. Obviously, we can feel good or bad about ourselves based on what we do, but there's something still, which is why we give in, the, in, the, in our legal system, our legal system is based on this theological truth, is that you presume innocence, that people should have a fair trial. Obviously, it still can be corrupt. But the idea is that you, you presume innocence because people are intrinsically made in God's image. That's powerful. It's a powerful idea. We, can, we should not, the worst thing we can do is to deny that and say, I'm going to reject being made in God's image and I'm going to make myself, I'm going to create my own image, I'm going to create my own identity, I'm going to create my own life, my own values. My own. No, it has to be discovered. It's always discovered. It's received. It's received. It's never created by us. It's received from God. Actually, the, the concept of love is a very powerful uh, uh, example of how a restraint can lead to liberation. Okay, the example of love. So think about, so actually it's mentioned here uh, in this passage in verse 13 and 14. Let's read that again. Uh, Apostle Paul writes, he says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is some of the most profound moral teaching you could ever get in any culture, any time of history ever, is this teaching right here. So think about love. Think about your family love, friendship love, community love, romantic love, you know, love you might have for a pet, all kind of love, whatever kind of love you can think of, all right? What is the nature of that love? To, to truly experience the depths of that love, you have to give up your independence. Because the true nature of love, for love to be true, it has to be, you have to serve without expectation. You have to serve freely. You have to give of yourself freely without expectation. Otherwise, it's not true love. Otherwise, it's conditional love. There can be no condition to your willingness to serve somebody else. Otherwise, it's, otherwise then it's a transactional relationship. So let's take, let's, take this, let's take romantic love as an example of this. Romantic love. If you, if you want to have a successful romantic relationship, a healthy relationship, a relationship full of cooperation and joy and collaboration, you have to make it exclusive. It has to be exclusive. You have to put massive restrictions and boundaries on it in order to have 
a chance. You have, to, you have to make sacrifices and make adjustments for each other. And, those, and by the way, those adjustments have to be made before the trip to Ikea. All right? That's essentially very, very, very important. When you're in that situation, when you're in love, when you fall in love, you want to you please the other person. You might, even say, you might even say, your wish is my command. Have you ever said that before? We all know people who've who act this way. Maybe some of us, maybe, maybe you know somebody who acts this way. When you fall in love, think about the guy who's newly dating his, his, his new love. And his friends are watching his behavior and thinking, what, what is he doing? He's like, he's like he's under a spell. It's like he's it's like turned into a sheep. He just, this woman has complete mind control power over him and he's just following her around. He'll just do anything. And his friends are thinking, wow, this looks uh, interesting. But for him, on the inside, it's heaven. It, it doesn't feel oppressive. It's the same with God. It's the same with God. When you understand the love of God, and this is the beautiful, the beautiful thing about the Christian faith, is that Christians, we accept the restrictions of God. We accept the confinements of God. We accept those things because in them we have the greatest liberation. And it, also because it, it paints the story of the great story of the Bible for us, that God himself, who is limitless, took on limitation, took on constraints, became a man, came from heaven to earth, to die in our place, to take our sin away, to set us free once and for all so that we could have that liberation. He gave up his freedom in exchange so that we could have his freedom, so we could have liberation. That's the gospel message of the Bible, the good news of the Bible. That's, 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 that's the good news of grace. Is that It's not based on our, you know, being saved from evil is not about how good we are. It's about how good God is and about the work of Jesus, the fact that he was nailed to that Roman cross, that his body was broken, his blood was shed, that he died in our place to set us free, that he came under complete restriction and restraint so that we could be completely liberated. And that in taking on the restraints and the boundaries and the definitions and the identity that God gives us, that's the only way we can truly be free is when we discover that. We're gonna, we need to respond in worship to this. We need to thank Jesus, this is true. This is where we find our greatest freedom. This is where we find our greatest joy is in receiving the boundaries and the restrictions that God places on us because everybody has restrictions. There's no other way to be liberated. No other way to find out who you really are than to discover it in God himself. How do you respond to this? Perhaps you want to give your life to Christ. Perhaps you want to be baptized. We actually have baptisms happening today, but we can, we'll plan more as well. Maybe you want to join a small group today. Don't leave today without joining one of our groups. Maybe you want to give today. You want to get more involved in Trinity somehow. You can do what Cole suggested earlier on. You can, one way to respond is you can text the word ENJOY to 94000, and uh, there's options there. You can respond and let us know uh, what kind of action you want to take today. But let's, let's worship. Let's sing. Let's respond to Jesus. Let's put our hope and our trust in Him.